Right, okay. Morning, everyone. My name's Johnny, one of the leaders of the church here. Um, every week at Church Central, whichever of the three sites you'll, you'll be at, um, we will spend some time looking at a passage from the Bible and uh, seeing what it means, what it says, and also how it can apply to us uh, in our lives today. And we've been going through the, the Gospel of Luke uh, for the last twice getting on for about a year now, I imagine, and we've made it to Luke chapter 8. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 56 uh, today, and we'll crack on and just get straight into it, and uh, then we'll see what, um, how God's Word can affect us today. That's the plan. So I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it, um, this is what it says. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. But he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead, she's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed. But Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. Okay. Uh, in this passage, we see two themes uh, cropping up that I'm sure if, any, if you've been to almost any of the sermons we've preached on Luke or are familiar at all with the Gospels, that you will know, uh, know about already. And those two themes are these. Jesus' power seems to come through reasonably strongly in this passage and also people's faith. And Luke has already in, in this account of Jesus' life, uh, his gospel, he's already been at pains to link these two things uh, together, the, the, the link between power and faith. So for example, in Luke chapter 5, you've got the case of the, the friends, uh, the friends uh, have this guy who's their mate who's a paralyzed man, and they want to take him to Jesus. Jesus in a house, it's all very full, they can't get him in on his stretcher, so they climb on the roof cut a hole in the ceiling, lower him down. And what it says in that passage is, when Jesus saw their faith, then he forgave the man and he healed him of his paralysis. There's a link between faith and power there. A couple of weeks ago, Jonathan preached on the story of the centurion. Roman centurion comes to Jesus, uh, or sends, sends a delegation to Jesus uh, for the healing of his servant who's very seriously ill. And, and it, the comment made, and the link there is that it says, uh, Jesus remarks again at the man's great faith, he says. And what happens? Well, the man is healed. And the point is clear. 
faith in some way releases the power of God. That seems to be the message Luke's talking about. And we see it again clearly in twice uh, made explicit in this passage. So there we go. Faith releases God's power. Let's move on to the, the singing. There we are. Uh, that's a nice short sermon, isn't it? And it would be <laughs> if it wasn't for the fact that we do have a kind of a problem. I say problem. We do have some work to do on the back of that. And the work needs to be done on, well, yeah, fair enough. If faith releases God's power, we're probably quite familiar with what power is. But actually, what is faith? What is it? Everyone from uh, George Michael to Richard Dawkins would have different opinions on that one word. And so I think because there are lots of opinions, it's worth working out what is the faith that's referred to here and the Bible's talking about. But also, I think it's worth saying, if faith, this little word, faith, is the one thing that's kind of keeping us from the infinite, limitless power of God, probably worth getting a little bit of clarity on what that one thing is. I'd say, possibly, you know. (laughs) Now, I guess... For many Christians, I include myself in this, uh, for most of my life, I think, when we think about that question straight away, and I just ask you, what is faith? You, you might not put it exactly like this, but you'd probably give your answer in terms of faith being something of an internal event, something that happens in your head or your heart, wherever you want to put that thing happening. But it's, it's a thought process, or it's a feeling, or it's a decision to think or feel a certain way. And it happens inside you, and it could lead to action, or it could lead to speaking. But it doesn't have to, because faith itself is an internal thing. It's a decision. Does that make sense? Nod at me. We understand that. I'm not saying whether you agree with that. It's it's something that happens inside us. And so maybe this is a case uh, for some of us might have happened. You might have been praying for someone who was ill before, and you put your hand on them, and you pray in your best prayers, and you look up, and they're just as ill as they were before. And uh, verses, uh, you're not getting anywhere, basically. And verses like, say, Matthew 17, 20 might crop up into your head in some form, where Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move mountains moving Eleanor we talked about that earlier didn't we <laughs> so and you might be doing this I, I, I'm, obviously I've never done this but uh, you might have done uh, you're praying you're screwing up your faith and think, face and thinking can I inflate my faith to that magic level of the mustard seed you know like if, if I can do that anything's possible please you're just praying a bit louder and kind of maybe putting your hand on a bit more forcefully I want to get to mustard seed where am I at the moment it must be like dust mite or something <laughs> and then you might do something like well wait a minute if mustard seed moves a mountain all I want is to get rid of this cold that must be smaller than mustard seed oh, I must be there and it's like we're willing this, this internal force to grow as we're doing it I mean I, I would have been guilty, I think, at times of treating faith like this sort of telepathic power. That if I concentrate more, my faith will magically grow to magic mustard seed size. And then everything's kicking off. Mountains, cars flying about. I'll be like an X-Man. It'd be great. <laughs> now, we'd all agree, I'm sure, that's not what faith is. But then the question becomes, what is it then? And in today's passage, I think we get some really helpful clarity and practical definition on what faith is. And as we'll see, faith definitely involves internal processes, thoughts, decisions, even feelings. However, it also involves action. It involves radical action that demonstrates and embodies that faith. And actually, in many ways, sometimes when you say, what is the faith, as we'll see in this story, well, the faith that Jesus comments on is not one or the other. It's actually a combination of the two. 
And I want to stir you today, or each of you, wherever you're at, to that sort of faith in expectation that it's that sort of faith that releases the power of God for the two people in this story and also for us today. So before we run on, on to faith, because that's the topic, I, I do want to linger to, to we really get into this for a moment on this power thing. Because I said a minute ago, we all know what God's power is, don't we? And for most of us, we'd be familiar. If you're a Christian, if you've been around church for a while, you think God's powerful. Yep, got that one. He, he can do anything. Fantastic. Well, let's linger on that for a second because those statements there, that's big stuff. He can do anything. What does that mean? I want to linger there because Luke seems to uh, linger there and bring our attention on this in the context of what's happening. Let's think a bit wider than the passage. If you've got a Bible, you can flick back. Otherwise, you're going to have to trust me on this one. But if we go back about 20 verses, what's been happening before these two healings? Well, 20 verses before, Jesus is on a boat in the middle of a, a lake and the storm is so bad that experienced fishermen are fearing for their lives. Okay, what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus calms the entire storm with just speaking. Jesus has control over nature. That's the point of that story. Moving on to the next thing that happens, Jesus meets a man who is so oppressed by evil forces that everyone's terrified of him and has chained this man up. I mean, you wonder what this guy was getting up to here, but he's been chained up by people who are so terrified of what these evil forces are doing to and through this man. What does Jesus do? Well, Jesus comes to him and he completely frees him. Completely. It's funny that people are scared in the story originally. <laughs> They're more scared at the end where they see what Jesus has done to him. There's a bigger power at work in Jesus coming across us now. So he frees him. Then we get onto this passage, and you've got this woman who uh, it says that she could find no cure for her condition. In Mark's gospel, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the accounts of Jesus, we see this story. Um, and in Mark's gospel, it, it comments that she'd been to all sorts of doctors and she'd wasted all her money on them, but they hadn't done anything. She'd found no cure. She comes to Jesus, just a touch on the back of his jacket, and she's immediately healed, immediately. And then finally, you've got this girl who's died. And even in the light of all that's been said, yeah, he's good with storms, he's pretty good with demons, he's all right with healing, but look, Jairus, she's dead <laughs> Don't bother the teacher anymore. This bird has flown. What does Jesus do? He physically raises her from the dead. What's the point? Luke is not just selecting, this is the diary of Jesus today. These are the things that happen. He's selecting stories here. John's Gospel, it says, if I were to put all the stories in, there wouldn't be enough room in all the books in the world. So there's a selectivity happening. Why has he selected these stories? Well, he selected them because of this. Jesus has power over nature. He has power over demons. He has power over healing. He has power over death. Do you want to add to that list anything you're going through at the moment? Relationship problems, financial difficulties, problems with sin. Luke's point is this. Jesus has power over everything. It's not just, oh, is it, does it fit one of these things? No, he's using these four things because he's saying, look, I want you to understand from all this that Jesus' power is an incredible power that covers everything. Where others doubt and fear and fail to find a cure, Jesus can do it. Right at the beginning today, as we talk about faith, and I raise your expectation. We need this sort of power. This sort of power is an amazing power. And you might have heard about it many times, but we need to hear more about it and we need to long for this stuff. Also, there's a power here. Let's push that a bit further, actually, because the power is not just for one-off 
things. There's a power here for, for what is called salvation as well. It's interesting when you look in this passage what happened to both these people. In, in verse 42, it says that the lady was made well. In verse 50, Jesus says that about Jairus' daughter, she will be healed. Interestingly, or maybe not, depending on your uh, interesting Greek words, <laughs> which I'm getting myself in a hole. Okay, just as it is, maybe not interestingly. The word used for made well and healed is just saved. That's the word in Greek here. He says, in, uh, you, your faith has saved you, he says to the woman. He says, if you uh, have faith, you will be saved, to Jai- or she will be saved to Jairus about his daughter. Now, for these two people, they came to Jesus for very specific salvations. They didn't come for to get rid of all my sins and restore my relationship with God. They, but they did come to be saved from things. The woman needed salvation from a, a bleeding condition that had taken control of her whole life. That Jairus needed his daughter literally to be saved from death. But in both these stories, they're tasters of a greater salvation, a full measure of God's power that just doesn't save us from individual tragedies or problems that happen along the way, but saves us completely as human beings, saving us from the punishment that our sins deserve, bringing us into good relationship with our Creator again, and ultimately bringing us eternal life with Him. That's not a lesser salvation than telling storms to stop, That's the one everything else points to, because that's the big miracle. That's the the big display of power. And Jesus has the the power to heal the woman of her condition. But notice what he says at the end. He can also say to her, your faith has healed you. Your faith made you well. Go in peace. There's a peace in the soul that Jesus can give that goes beyond even the working of incredible miracles like this. But it gets rid of our guilt, our shame, our fear, and our failure now, that wasn't clear to these guys here. They didn't see the whole story. They kind of entered the story halfway through. But years later, they, I'm sure they would have still been around to see it. And they would have, I'm sure they would have put the dots together. Ah, that's where this was going. When they saw Jesus dying and rising again. And as he did it, paying the punishment that we deserve for our sins. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Defeating the power of sin. That's a big power right there. And then coming back from the dead, crushing death. He did it. He did it in history. That's the power Jesus has to offer. That's the power in this story. It's a power for miraculous intervention in moments of your life, yes, but it's also power to deal with the deep fundamental issues that hold you back and define you in your life as well. It's a big deal. That's what I want to make clear to you today. This is not just something I'll power. That's, that's okay. If you're a Christian, this is relevant for you. You've already made, you've already, if you're a Christian, you've already known a measure of his power in your life. But there's more power for you, as we go on to see. We need that power. That's not an optional extra. But if you're not a Christian, this is very relevant to you, too. If you've never known Jesus' power in your life, I want to tell you there's a power outside of yourself from God for you. And so the question, hopefully now we're all there. Yes, tell me more. Uh, where, how do we receive this power then? Well, how do we get it? Well, I kind of let this one go a little bit earlier, so there's no surprise here. Uh, faith seems to be key in this story, and these stories give us a real help on what that phrase means. So let's go through them, each one by one. Start with the woman who had the problem with, her, with bleeding. In verse 42, this link again with faith is made clear. I've referred to the verse already. Jesus says this, the end of his interaction with the woman, daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So what happens is Jesus 
the end of the story, he looks and he looks at all he's seen over the last kind of few minutes, however long it's been, and he sees this thing called faith in her. He's visible. And then he says, that's the thing that has made you well, that has healed you, has saved you in the, in the word he used. So what faith does he see? What does he actually see? What is the faith that Jesus sees? Well, let's break it down. Three things. First thing he sees is it's faith in a person. That's what it is. Faith in a person, a specific person. It's faith in the person of Jesus. Biblical faith is not just believing. I'm saying this a lot at the moment because I'm hearing this a lot from misunderstanding from all over the place. And you might come with a misunderstanding today that we're talking about kind of Disney faith or fairy tale faith. If I believe something enough, I can will it into action. That is not biblical faith. Faith in the Bible is not a miraculous, mysterious power like the telepathic power I talked about before. No, no. Faith in the Bible is faith in Jesus. It's in a person. If we we strip that word of its kind of religious connotations, probably the most helpful phrase I can think of for that word is trusting Jesus. That's what faith is. It's trusting Jesus. So faith, firstly, the faith he sees in this woman is it's faith in him, in a person. She's not going looking for any old crowd and any old person fighting through. If I can touch anything, I'll be healed. If I can touch that lucky Heather, I'll get there. There's a crowd around. No, it's faith in a person, faith in Jesus, first thing. Second thing is this. It's faith in that person, but it's faith for something specific from that person. Now, what I mean by that is this. If I say I trust somebody... That might sound like a blanket statement to you if I trust them in every situation ever. It's not. I've actually got restrictions on what I'm saying. So I can tell you, uh, honestly, I trust my wife Gemma. and She's in the kids' work, so I can say anything from this point. But um, I trust her. Now, you might think, well, that means you trust her in every situation. No, I do not trust her in every situation. I do not trust my wife to fly a plane that I'm sitting in. I wouldn't trust her to do that. I would not trust my wife to be a reliable goalkeeper in my power league team. I wouldn't trust her for that either. No, my statement of trust is, is in specific things. I trust her for specific things. I trust her that she would be uh, faithful to me in our marriage. I trust her that she'll stick through, by me through thick and thin. That's what I mean with that statement. And this is the kind of trust that this lady would have had in Jesus. Like we said, she wouldn't have trusted him, I'm, I'm sure, fully for salvation from all her sins. There's a, shades of that in the passage. She wouldn't have understood that. What's she coming to him for? Well, she's coming to him, I, want, I trust him to heal my bleeding. That's what I trust him for. Mark 5, 27, 28, slightly different angle on the story, gives an insight into her mind. It says this, same story. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. She had faith in Jesus for her healing. She had faith that he could meet her need, that he could save her from that condition where everyone else had failed. In a sense, you could start this woman's faith as she had faith in Jesus as her saviour. I don't mean saviour in the sense we would know in the fullness of saviour, but she had faith in him to save her from a difficulty, to rescue her from what she saw as her most pressing problem. So her faith, the faith Jesus saw was faith in him, faith in him to save her, to rescue her from her biggest need at that time. And thirdly, and it, it might go without saying, but it needs to be said, what, what faith did he see? Well, he saw a faith that could be seen. That's the third thing we can see about the faith. Now, I guess in the story you could 
say, well, he's Jesus. He can see inside people's heads. And so he could have looked in their head and seen the cogs going and they click with what the cogs work for faith in your head. That's possible. Jesus can see inside our heads. He does that a number of times. However, I think in the context of the passage, it seems a little more likely that he's talking about things on a much more human level than this. When he says, your faith has healed you, your faith has saved you, I think everyone in the crowd wouldn't have gone, what faith? Jesus, he can see into people's minds. Now, they would have all gone, yep, you're right, she has faith. This woman has faith. Why would they have seen that? Well, they saw it in action. They saw her fighting her way through the crowd to come to Jesus. I mean, let's think about what she actually managed to do. As Peter points out, there is a crowd pressing around Jesus, all around him, pressing in. They're all keen on getting a bit of Jesus. They want to talk to him, they want to give him their problems. They just want to be seen to be near this celebrity figure who's wandering through Judea. She's got to get through that crowd to touch him. This isn't a kind of walk by and just tap him on the, the robe. There's, no, there's effort required here. That's not really proper. You're not going to say things like this nowadays, but the fact that she's a woman would have probably made this harder. <laughs> because the average woman is weaker than the average man. I'm all right here. I'm not going to get... No, good. This is, I'm going to keep going with this. Um, now, fair enough. She could have been a sort of Rebecca Adlington or a Fatima Whitbread and just been a bang, bang, bang. It could have happened. Could have been a Miranda Hart and just leant over and touched him on the, the road. But probably the fact she's a woman here would have made this more effort is required to get through this crowd to see Jesus. This is not an easy thing for her to do. Pressing in to touch Jesus is going to require a serious effort. And that's when Jesus says, your faith is healed you. I'd assume the crowd would go, yeah, she's pushed through right here to get close to, to Jesus here. That was her faith. It was her faith that Jesus is commenting on. It's a, a, yes, it's a mental decision to trust Jesus to save her, but it's demonstrated by the fact she pressed through the crowd at great effort to herself to touch him. That's the faith that saved her. That's the faith that made her well. Let's break this down very, very quickly. I want to just push this one a little further. Let's imagine one of those elements of the faith was lacking. Ask, would she have been healed? Let's imagine she stood on the sidelines and Jesus comes by and she said in her head, I believe that man has the power to heal my sickness. Would she have been healed? No, she wouldn't have been healed. She's waiting on the side. It seems in the story that that wouldn't have happened. Let's put it the other way around. Let's imagine that she just touched Jesus, but she didn't have faith. She didn't trust him for that he's he's the one who can do it. He's the one who has the power. Would she have been healed? No, she wouldn't have been healed. Loads of people were touching Jesus. Power wasn't going out of Jesus left, right, and center. No, he noticed because someone came to him. They trusted him. They believed in him, and they fought through and touched him. It's two things as flip sides of the same coin here. Now, at this point, I, I need to say this. I, I'm not saying, and I think if, we, if your mind might be going this way any, anyway, but, well, that, does that mean then that our pressing in our works, our effort is what saves us? Is that what really gets Jesus on our side and to give us his power? It'll be clear. No, that is not the case. Our efforts do not save us. You know, we're saved by God's grace, his grace to us. And if people were to leave this message, I'm going to push this a little bit further in a minute, but if you leave this message today and you think, right then, 
I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to get up super early to pray. I'm going to obey in every way I can because I want to earn God's favor because then maybe I'll earn enough to get this answer to my prayer or to help me in my life. You know what? That is a failed sermon. Okay? That's not what I want happening today because that's not the gospel. However, that doesn't mean that her effort's not important. Think about her motivation here. This woman, I think she's an excellent example of this. She's not standing at the side thinking, how am I going to earn Jesus' power today? That's not what she's thinking. She's not driven, so earn, I need to earn this. I need to show off how hard I work to get to him. She doesn't knock a few extra people out the way just to show off, say, look what I've done. What's her motivation? Why is she pushing through? This is her motivation. She has been to every doctor in town. No one has done anything. And she sees Jesus, and something in her heart, I'm sure divinely inspired, suddenly reaches out to him says, this is the one. He's the only one. He's the only one who can rescue me. Everyone else has failed. He's my only hope. And she doesn't then stop and think, so I'm going to impress him now. No, she naturally, that thought brings action. It's natural. She can't stop herself. She has to get close to him. That's how internal thought faith Links with action, faith. I can't do anything else. I believe he's the only one. Can I ask you this? In your life, when Jesus looks at your life, can he see your faith like that? Does he need to look inside your head really carefully with a magnifying? I think it's in there somewhere. Wait, oh yes, there is something here. Or can he say, no, your faith, I see it. The crowd sees it. Your faith is here. I can see it in front of me. Is this woman a good picture of your faith? Not a kind of ticking of a mental checklist in your mind, but actually shown through a a kind of obsession with Jesus, a a thorough belief of his power to save that leads you naturally, well, of course, I'm going to press into him. I want to get as close as I can to this man because I have nothing else. I have to be as near to him as I can. That's the faith that Jesus saw in this woman and it released his power to her. It's the same faith he looks for us, in us today, as he looks to release his power into our lives. So let's go on to Jairus then. What do we learn from the story of Jairus? Again, faith is crucial in the story of Jairus and his young daughter. We see it in verse 50 and uh, Jesus says this to him, don't be afraid, just have faith and she will be healed uh, or more literally saved. Now, we have to approach this story the opposite way around. Last time, at the end of the story, Jesus goes, your faith has saved you. So we go, oh, what, what's the faith? Let's look at what's happened, what she's done. You see what the faith is. This time, it's your faith. You just have faith, she'll be healed. End of the story, she gets healed. So we could look and say, okay, well then, how does Jairus show his faith here in this story? Now, I think as a, well, whereas with the woman, her faith was a faith uh, that, it was in Jesus as her saviour to press in. Actually, when we look at Jairus, we see a, diff- a slightly different take on faith. It's not that these are two different types. They're both built in, and we're getting a really three-dimensional look here at faith because Jairus' faith is more faith in Jesus as Lord to obey. And I'll show you what I mean. And so For that, we probably need to go back uh, to the passage, really. Um, so, You've got the situation. Jairus comes before Jesus. And at first, Jairus has done his pressing in. He's the, it's not like he didn't press into Jesus. He's the synagogue ruler. 
He's a man of standing. He falls on his face and begs this kind of roaming street preacher. Come on, you've got to come and save my daughter. You know what? He's going over. He, he's, he's pressing into Jesus too. And Jesus uh, uh, responds to his request. Yes, okay, Jairus, I will do what you want me to do. So he responds to Jairus's command. Jairus is setting the pace here. He follows Jairus towards where Jairus is going. Jairus seems to be in charge of the situation. And then there's a sudden change. They come and say, look, no, she's dead. Send the teacher away. Then suddenly Jesus says, believe. And the minute he says that, he takes complete control of the situation. Before, Jesus follows Jairus. Now suddenly, look what happens here from verse 51. Notice the number of explicit instructions and commands Jesus now gives in these five uh, verses. This is what it says. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. So, okay, Jesus gets to this house he's never been to before. It's a house of mourning. Like, he goes, right, this is how it's going to run here. So it reminds me of like, one of those police fields. They cordon off the area and all that sort of stuff. He goes, you can come in, you can come in. No, not you. But that's my Auntie Jean. No, Auntie Jean's not allowed. She's staying out here. These are the guys coming. He suddenly, Jairus like, okay, this isn't what happened before, but yeah, we'll go with this. He's, he's setting the tone. Let's move on, verse 52. The house was filled with people, weeping and wailing. But he said, stop the weeping. Just imagine this, going to someone's house, a house of mourning. You, it wasn't your house. And people are crying, stop crying. <laughs> stop me crying, you lot. You're doing my head in. He didn't say that. That's, just, that's in the Aramaic version, obviously. Um, but stop the weeping. Jesus is setting the tone here. He's taking charge of the situation. Stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and he prayed, oh Lord, please, would you let her up? No, 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 that's not it said in a loud voice, my child, get up. Jairus, I think at this point, is going to be, this is not the Jesus I came to a few minutes ago. He was following me. Now he's just bossing everyone around. My child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned. And she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. I mean, again, get to food now. Go on, and make it snappy. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. The word in Mark's gospel for this, don't tell them. Mark says he said it. Luke wants to make this clear. He says, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone. By this point, Jairus has got the idea. The picture of Jesus has completely changed. Jairus came to him, Jesus followed. Suddenly, he says, believe, and he says this. Now you've got to understand something, Jairus. When you believe in me... You don't just believe in me as someone who can help you like a butler. No, you believe in me as your Lord. Because I have a tendency to take control of the situation. I don't know. Isn't this how it often works in the Christian life? Is this not your experience? You come to Jesus to fix your problems or for help. And you come to him in faith. You trust he can do it, even though he will do it. And then the saviour you trusted in suddenly starts giving you instructions of things he'd like you to do. I remember exactly how this happened in, in my life. I was 18, and I'd been wavering substantially in my faith. I didn't know where I was going to go. I remember coming to a point where I said, you know what, Jesus, it's all, I'm all in with you. I'm, I'm back with you. I want to follow you. you know? I think in the back of my mind was I thought I was doing God a bit of a favor. He's got me back on his team. Nice. It's going to be good. So I'm like, Look, I, but I believe you. I'm putting in my lot with you. And then straight away, I started hearing God's voice. So Johnny, 
you need to stop getting drunk. You know what? It's not what I came to you for, Lord, but I can do that. That's okay. Stop getting drunk. Actually, we've dealt with that now. The music you listen to, you know what? It's got a grip on you that you need to do something about. That record needs to be got rid of. Oh, you mean sold? No, not sold. Smash it. God, that cost me a lot of money. That's a good record. Smash it. Vinyl's really good for smashing, by the way. Uh, you find little bits of it for months afterwards all over your room. So, um, well, a bit of vinyl. Actually, it's really sharp as well. So it's, to kids around don't do that. Probably incinerator or something. <laughs> got rid of the records. No, that's fine. That can do that. Next thing, God's saying, you know that girl you've got your eye on at the moment, Johnny? You are aware, aren't you, that she's not following me. She doesn't love me. You don't make a move there. What? I came to you to help me out, God. I ain't coming for this. All right, then. Oh, and while you're at it, you know, take every opportunity that you can to share the good news with people. You know what? My experience would be that you can't take Jesus on your terms. You take him on his terms or you don't take him. Now, I don't know what people's experience would be or your experience at the moment. You might be thinking, that's a little bit bossy. You know what, Johnny? That's not the Jesus I know. My Jesus is patient and he's full of grace. And I wouldn't even say that he gives me commands. It's more like helpful advice. And actually, he'll still be with me, whatever I choose to do, because you know what? Jesus is my friend. That might be what, how you see that relationship working at the moment. If that's the case, I'd say two things. First, I just want to clarify, Jesus doesn't just talk to me in terms of commands. It's not, that's the only way he speaks to me. It's full of grace. He does, it speaks to me in love and things like that. And I'd say even in his commands, I'm amazed at how gracious God has been to me. If I was God, I would have just said, right, really, you want to be in? Okay, Johnny, close all the doors. You are sorting this stuff out now. I'm nothing to do with you. Your name is not going to be associated with me. No, he does one thing at a time. He's very gracious in how he instructs us, how he leads us. I'm not, uh, if, I'm trying to, if I'm paying Jesus as some sort of di- cold dictator, scrub that, that's not what I mean. He doesn't just relate to me in commands, and his commands are gracious, they're loving. However, at the same time, I'd want to challenge you. Now, Jesus did talk about us being his friends. He used that image a couple of times to, as a part of us understanding this mysterious fact of how we can relate to an eternal God. He did use that image, and it's one facet of it. However, it doesn't say in Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is your mate, you'll be saved. It's not what it says. It says you confess and believe that Jesus is Lord. That's the Jesus there is. He's our Lord. He's our master. He's our owner. You're comfortable with that. Come to Jesus, believe in you. He owns you. He purchased us with his blood. He's our God. He has strong opinions on things he wants us to do and things he doesn't want us to do. Partly out of a concern for our well-being. Partly out of a concern for the well-being of others around us. Mostly out of a concern for his wonderful glory. Believing in Jesus involves obeying Jesus. Now, I'm not saying these two stories present us with two different types of faith. You can choose. Either believe in Jesus as Saviour and press into him, or believe in Jesus as Lord and obey him. You take your pick. I've imagined which one I'd go for out of those two. Luke is layering a three-dimensional view of faith. What is faith? Actually, that's faith. What's the faith that receives Jesus' power? Well, the faith that receives Jesus' power, whether it's on the day you become a Christian 
or years later, well, it's faith in Jesus as our Saviour and our Lord. It's not just an event in our head, but it's necessarily outworks itself and flows out of actions in a pressing in on him. He's my only hope. Of course I'm going to run to him. And in obedience, because you're my Lord. Jairus is not here thinking, how many of these commands do I have to follow to get this kid saved, to get this kid healed? Come on. No, even at the end, he's no, of course I'm going to do it. Of course I won't tell anyone. Jesus, of course I'm going to give us some food because you're my Lord. You've won my heart. Of course, why not? Be a crazy guy. Jairus, why are you obeying him now? Why? He's done it. Don't just tell everyone. Who cares? That would be a ridiculous question. He wouldn't have understood that question because actually faith involves action. Faith in action. So how do we apply this then as we wrap up? Well, I think we can apply this in a number of ways. And firstly, I'd want to apply, if you're not a Christian here, if you've never known Jesus' power in your life, I'd want to talk to you for a, a couple of minutes, really, because it could be that you're thinking in your head, where you are in your mind, the mental tick list, you might be getting there. You might be almost there in that. You might think, well, okay, God exists, tick. Uh, Jesus died for my sins, tick. Jesus rose from the dead, tick. I think all of that stuff's fair enough. But actually, I don't feel anything. I don't feel any different. don't feel God's interacting with me. I don't hear his voice. I don't feel his power. You know what? So I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait until he makes the move now. Well, actually, I'd encourage you, if you believe it, act on it. Press in to find more about Jesus. Oh, that might require some effort. Might mean starting to read the Bible a bit more. I don't know, reading. No, well, actually, if you believe that stuff, why don't you find out what he's got to say? Often it comes alive as we do that, the Bible. Start praying to him more. Come and hassle your Christian friends, even the leaders at this church. Hassle us to, to kind of answer your questions. I'm not going to give you a specific thing, a place to come and talk to us, a team today. No, come and hassle me. I'll be talking to people at the end. You have to butt in. But you know what? If you believe that stuff, surely it's worth it. Press in to find more about Jesus. Maybe there are areas in your life that you know you're going to need to change if you become a Christian. Well, actually, maybe God's calling on you to take that step now. I'm going to change this. I'm going to do this. I believe this. I'm going with this. Because often what happens is then is that as you take those steps of faith, Jesus stands, and like you do that woman, he says, I've seen your faith. You know, your faith has saved you. There we go. Done. Done it. He waited till the woman pushed through the crowd before his power went out to her. He healed Jairus' daughter only after Jairus had willingly come under his authority. Maybe he's waiting for you to act on what you believe in your head so he can say too, your faith has made you well. I encourage you to do that, pressing on him. If you're a Christian, which is the other category, so this will be the last thing I say if you're kept watching the clock, this is equally important for you, I'd say. Faith is not just how we become Christians. It's actually the method by which we live our entire lives as Christians. And it's how we continue to receive God's power in our lives on every day of that journey. Romans 1 says the righteous will live by faith. Faith is how you got in. Faith is how we live every day along the way. And it means continually holding fast to truths we believe. Yes, definitely. But it also involves continuing to live those things out. 
not in some desire to impress God. But you know what? Because it's, it's if we believe those things, that is what flows out of us. And the story gives us two very good pictures of what that could mean. Pressing in to get close to Jesus. There's effort involved. There's discipline that can be involved in building our relationship with God. It's important that we show those things. It's not, oh, well, it could be legalism, huh? Well, it could be legalism. If you're setting your alarm clock for four o'clock and thinking, oh, I've done my two hours, God's going to be really happy with me today. That's, that is legalism. However, setting your alarm clock at four o'clock, if you feel faith to do that, you know what, do it. Because we cannot push in too hard to the one who has the most power in the universe and who loves us the most. I can say that, but does my life live that out? Let's press into him. Let's be unashamed of that. Let's carefully and faithfully obey his commands to us. He's our Lord. He's our master. He loves us. Why wouldn't we do that? The only thing I want to say, and it might be for some more than others, is there's a a kind of permission I want to give that, which might sound really strange, but I feel there's a permission that God wants to give us to work hard for him. It's a funny thing, when you're at school, maybe this is a bloke thing, but at my school, um, there was this thing, if you tried too hard, that was really bad. Okay, you were called, it was an unim- unimaginative name, but you were a try-hard. See what I did there? It's pretty good. Um, and that was a bad thing. So you wanted to look blasé, you wanted to look laid back, you know, that's how it is. It's exactly the same in the church, I, f- I find. Actually, don't push too hard. It's, it's okay, just, let's, we're, we're pretty, I think for blokes, we, we kind of want to be laid back, we want to be chilled out, we don't want to take things too seriously, you don't want to take yourself too seriously, do you? That's the ultimate crime. And somehow, I think often, and I've done this before, we use teaching about God's grace to bolster that sort of mentality. So that when everyone says, look, you should, you should work hard for Jesus, we step back and we say, well, like, calm down. That's actually inappropriate. We, we, we don't want to be talking about effort. Actually, I want to give you permission today to work hard for Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul said. Quote this one. I was going to put a big point at this, but I'm not going to. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet yeah, not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I want to give you permission. If you feel the, the Holy Spirit saying, set your alarm clock a bit earlier, you know, do it. It's a good thing to do. If you feel the Holy Spirit saying, look, Stop doing this thing. And you're thinking, I don't understand why. I'm not even sure this is that bad and all my friends are doing it. And they're going to think I'm weird and legalistic. You know what? Do it. The Holy Spirit's telling you to do it. Obey him. Be radical. Push in. Look at this story of this woman and think, I want to be like that. The first question I think we probably need to ask ourselves is, do we see Jesus as she saw him? Is he the only one for you who can, who can fit? fix your problems, and uphold your life? Is he the only foundation? If Jesus is removed, what do you have? If you're already going, oh, this, 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 I think you need to look at your faith. You need to look at Jesus again. Because this woman, there was nothing else. Is that where we stand with him? Because if we do that, we press in, we obey, we have faith that is faith in action.